afternoon, everybody, and good afternoon, Aaron. Good afternoon, Sabode. Welcome to another episode of One Week Expert. I hope, Aaron, you've been able to do your research and you're all set to go. I have, and you know, this topic, uh, this topic, I think for all the listeners, um, so the topic is blockchain, but it touches on, a, on many, many different um, topics. And so Sabote and I may go off on some tangents um, and we'll, we'll always come back to the concept of blockchain. Um, however, when you start looking into something like blockchain and what is it and, you know, what are the pros of it and what are the cons of it and why is it controversial or why do some people think it's controversial? You really have to almost understand um, some other concepts first before you really get into the blockchain. And maybe maybe that's as good a place to start, about is, you know, talking a little bit about um, just the concepts of money and the value of money and how, you know, in in our current environment or at least in the in the past, historically, you know, how how money has moved um, in transaction based systems and then come in and introduce, you know, the blockchain and, you know, really talk through what it is and then compare to what the differences are between. I guess what all of us are pretty much used to in the world from dealing with financial transactions to now this this new approach to transactions in general. Yes, absolutely. I think that will set context uh, on what we're going to be talking. And I'll have to say, you know, I really enjoyed researching this topic. Uh, I understand blockchain a lot better than I did a week ago. It's always been the sort of buzzword for me. And, you know, people could have said, oh, let's use blockchain for this or let's use blockchain for that. And I wouldn't have been any the wiser. I would have just nodded my head. But now I think I have a pretty decent understanding of what it is and where it should be used. Absolutely. Um, same, same for me. Uh, you know, both of us being in the IT industry, you know, and we've heard this term quite quite a bit, especially over the past two years or so um, of blockchain. And I, I definitely have a much better understanding of it conceptually of what it is and really do see some advantages to it. Um, so. You know, before I guess we jump into that, one of the things when I was doing my research was just this this concept of money, right? And essentially, money or really almost anything of value is based on a population's trust in whatever that is, right? And therefore, it's valuable. You know, you think about um, any sort of currency or it's it's really i mean it literally is just paper or some sort of metal for a coin right that's all it is you know uh yep. do we you know we say oh well here's a sheet of paper and i don't put any value in this but yet here is here's this paper that says one dollar bill on it and we say okay now this piece of paper has money as opposed to this other piece of paper and that that I think is a very, very important concept because in order for something to have value, there has to be the trust in whatever that object is. 
that it's going to re retain its value. Um, you're going to be able to, at some point, translate that value on this object into either additional goods or additional services and be able to use that for exchange. And in, in, any, of, in any of these things, it comes down to the majority population's belief that this object can hold value, right? Um, and making it very, very easy then to exchange for goods and services as opposed to it being, oh, Sabode, you know how to, you know how to fix, fix my bent rim on my car. You do that for me and I'll come over and I'll fix your refrigerator, right? And instead of it being service for service or good for good, um, probably more so, you know, in very, very ancient times of humanity, um, where the was system. the barter system exactly, you know, introducing this concept of, okay, we're just going to have this generic object that is now going to hold some sort of value that you can use as opposed to it being a true barter system. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The point about, you know, having trust or belief in the system. And right now, the system that all of us place our trust in is, you know, the banking system, right? And their regulate, regulation of currency, because that's what all of us uh, use to attach value to time, goods, anything, services. So when we talk about blockchain, we'll have to talk a little bit about blockchain and, and its use in uh, online currency in relation to the trust factor. Exactly, exactly, which is, you know, a very, a very important point. Um, and it coming down, you know, in addition to that trust, it has to be a majority of a population believing in, in something, right? Right. You know, if it's just, if it's just you and I who feel that this piece of plastic or this sheet of paper holds value, well, I mean, it's really not practical because with the exception of if I'm dealing with you or you're dealing with me, we can't really use this invented value anywhere, right? Except yep, between yep. ourselves. So, so it really does come down to this majority of the population having this trust in whatever this object is that it is valuable and I can therefore then use it to translate to other things. And as you mentioned, you know, right now, um, in for hundreds of years, it really has been based on the banking system and, hey, I know my money's going to be safe because it's at a bank. Right. Right. And, you know, when we talk about that, it's not even money, but anymore, it's just electronic transactions that exactly. the bank is storing and saying, sure. you know, yeah, I, I understand from from certain uh, regulations and things that, you know, banks have to, are required to keep a certain amount of physical um, money on hand, right? However, the vast majority of transactions are all electronic saying Sabote has X hundreds of dollars in his account and Aaron has X number of $10 in his, his account, <laughs> right? Right. So, so that is, you know, that is, really an important thing because essentially the population trusts that the bank is protecting their money. And if they want to interact with 
their money, they have to go today to a bank in order to do that in some way. That's right? correct. Yep. And we we use the term bank, but there's of course lots of banks that are interconnected to each other. And you know, any bank, whether it's Bank of America or Wells Fargo or uh, you know HDFC or HSG or any other bank, we're basically placing that trust in that system. Exactly, exactly, and it it really comes down to then as we as we start moving into truly what is blockchain it's this the way specifically for financial transactions in in this banking system of a centralized system of tracking this information and you know essentially it's from from doing the research one of the major um positives of blockchain is trying to reduce the inefficiencies of maintaining transactions and maintaining the exchange of data between parties, right? Not necessarily the data itself, but the exchange of the data between parties. So, so just, go on. you know, tell me a little bit more what you mean by that in terms of, in with an example perhaps for our sure. listeners, right? So we've got a bank, you're interacting with the bank and I'm interacting with the bank. How does the whole thing work? Right. So let's say, let's say, you know, the, I think this, the easy example that probably everyone can is familiar with is I want to send Sabode money. Right. And, right. and you know, what, what happens? So I initiate something that says I'm going to send Sabode $100. And, Today, I have to do it through an online application of some sort with my bank. Um, I have to, or I have to physically go into my bank to initiate this transfer. And that transaction, so I've initiated it. Now the bank, bank number one takes over, my bank takes over and says, okay, we're going to record these transactions because Aaron is going to send $100 out of his account to Sabode. So they take the $100 and again, thinking through it, this is an electronic entry, right? It's not truly, here's $100 cash and they're mailing it for me. They are creating an electronic entry at my bank. They then trans transmit this information to Sabode's bank, who then on their side creates another electronic entry saying, okay, we are receiving $100 from Aaron to put into Sabode's account. And then finally, once that those transactions are done, now the funds are in Sabode's account. But it's, it's these transactions and how each bank is tracking them and the interaction between these other entities when this is the only mechanism I have to get Sabode money, right? Is I have to use these, um, these institutions and whatever mechanisms they have in place for me to then transfer money to Sabode. And if you were transferring, let's say, another $100 to another person, let's say John, I would have no way of knowing about it. I wouldn't need to know about it. And, you know, it's between the bank and you and John, right? Correct. Or the multiple banks, potentially, right? Yes. 
that are involved. Yeah. So that's, that's a very good point because, you know, that is, as we get into this, one of the, one of the key aspects of blockchain. So I know we've, uh, we've talked a lot and we haven't even really talked about blockchain yet, (laughs) but I think, think you know, we, we want, we, when we talked, we really did kind of want to set the stage and hit some of these underlying topics because a lot of what blockchain is doing is trying to tackle some of these issues and look at it from a different perspective. Right. So do you want to tell us what uh, your understanding of a blockchain is? And then I'll also talk a little bit about what my understanding is. Sure. So my so there's there's a couple again a couple of different topics around this the the true concept of blockchaining um is nothing more than how at least in my mind and i'll be interested to hear what you have to say sabode is you know how how transactions are really processed and who has access to the information of those transactions right um right. from the standpoint of we have transactions um, within what's called a network, right? Of individuals, organizations, and everyone's in this network. And people within the network are then initiating transactions to each other. And again, this could be individuals or organizations. Um, and the method of recording the transactions in such a way using encryption methodologies and algorithms to make those transactions transparent to everyone in the network, or at least it's the option is there to make them transparent to everyone in the network. So instead of going back to our example, where you said, oh, if Aaron transfers money to John, right now, only Aaron, Aaron's bank, John's bank, and John no, the transaction occurred. Sabote has no idea the transaction occurred. Whereas in this open network, Sabote had, you know, based on the network's policies and protocols, Sabote now has the option of knowing, yep, Aaron sent money to John, right? And the record of that money is stored in something called a blockchain, right? Which is, which is nothing more than um, a list of transactions that form a block. And when that block, for lack of a better term, is full of transactions, that block is then sealed or closed, and a new block is open to start filling with transactions for individuals of the network. Right. So I'll I'll use a little bit of a more simplistic uh, definition, right? And I like your definition. I think it went into the details. It talked a lot about, you know, the... uh, nuances of the blockchain, right? Absolutely. For me, when I was reading it, the way I looked at blockchain is the main character, it's got a few characteristics that are unique to the system itself, right? The first, the main character is that it's a distributed system. So as you and I know, the most computer systems and especially complex secure computer systems are usually centralized. For example, your banking system is centralized and the access to various parts of that centralized system is limited to what you can do. 
but blockchain is fundamentally different that it is distributed. This isn't the first type of distributed system though, or a peer-to-peer -peer system. We've had, we, and we still do have, peer-to-peer -peer systems like you know BitTorrent, and if you remember for the good old days, Napster, right? Exactly. <laughs> but those peer-to-peer uh, -peer systems are highly insecure. So you know you can download something from BitTorrent, go change it, and then you know distribute it, and it basically is based on an individual person's ability to manipulate the system and not the entire ecosystem of a peer-to-peer -peer network that fundamentally agrees or disagrees with what's happening in it, right? So I think that's where the main distinction comes with between blockchain and a traditional peer-to-peer -peer system is that blockchain is highly secure. So I, I, I where, whatever articles that I looked up and read about blockchain, they all agreed that these are some characteristics of a blockchain system. So the first characteristic is that it's based on consensus. So for a transaction to be valid, all participants must agree on its validity. So going back to our example of the transaction between John and you, where you were transferring $100 to John, if I was part of that blockchain that where this transaction was happening, I would agree that this is a valid transaction. And then once you, John, and I agree that this is a valid transaction, then it is recorded, right? So that consensus aspect of it is very, very important. Uh, and then the other characteristic was provenance. So all the participants must know where something came from and who it is going to. So in this example, again, the $100 came from you, it's going to John. And you know, I agree that it's a good hundred dollars. You are agreeing it's a good hundred dollars. John's agreeing it's a good hundred dollars. And this is a pretty important characteristic, which is immutability. And I, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about you know what it actually means and the implications of immutability on the limitations of blockchain even a little later on, right? So Absolutely. immutability basically is that no participant can uh, tamper with a transaction after it has been recorded. So in you know our language, there is no modify option, right? Correct. It's all every transaction is a new transaction. No transaction can be deleted. No transaction can be modified. A transaction can only be added. So if you you know incorrectly transferred a hundred dollars to me there's no way for you to get that money back without me saying, yes, Aaron, I agree, you transferred $100 incorrectly to me, I'm going to transfer it back to you, right? And then the last one is finality, so which is a single repository or a ledger that provides uh, a true record of all the ownership, right? So I think all these characteristics when you look at it together and say that this is what a blockchain is, it provides for a highly secure, decentralized system for you to manage transactions, which is a very, very good set of characteristics for a currency system, which is what you know we were referencing earlier on, like Bitcoin or any of the other blockchain coins that are out there. It's so one of the things I think that's important 
as we as we're describing this is this concept of agreement. Yeah. Right. Because it's we are talking about agreement that the transaction is good, right? And valid. Yep. It is not agreement that I'm trying to send money to John and Sabode doesn't agree with me sending money to John. So he has a disagreement over me sending money to John. It's agreement that, yes, this is a valid transaction, right? That right. everyone in the network is agreeing to um, in order to say, yep, this works. And, you know, the way that this is done, at least from, from my research, is through mathematical algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. And computing, so it's not necessarily um, someone, a, a physical person, saying that they agree to the validity of the transaction. It's a computer, um, or multiple computers within this network of organizations and individuals that are determining: yes, this is a valid transaction. We agree to this. We are now going to record this transaction into our network's common ledger. Yes, our copy of the network's common ledger. So everyone has a copy of it, and every copy is the same. Correct. Right. Yeah, I think that is actually a very good point. You know, we don't have people saying, yes, I agree. No, I don't agree. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, it's based on, you know, uh, the computer making the decision, an unbiased decision, right, based on the data it has. Exactly, exactly. And... You know, there's there's all sorts of um, articles out there about well, what happens if two computers disagree on the, the validity of the decision um, within the network, and that's that's again why this concept of consensus comes into play. So if you have these ten computers in the network, and nine of them, nine of these computers say, yeah, this transa transaction is valid, and we've executed the algorithms to ensure that these are valid and you have one computer saying it's not valid well now you have a majority and from everything i read it's essentially that that you know computer that organization that individual basically has to accept that this is a valid transaction and they need to then determine why for whatever algorithm that they were using was not aligned with the others all right yeah so uh the other interesting, uh, you know, fact about blockchain that we were talking about is how it's difficult to kind of hack, right? Because of the Correct. number of nodes that could potentially exist in a blockchain. We the example you gave was about ten, but uh, generally you're going to have hundreds, if not thousands, of nodes. And Correct. in order to, you know, hack the system, you're going to have to basically do something quite complex. And I'm sure we're going to touch upon the hacking part of it a little later on. But yeah, the fact, yeah, the fact on. that you have so many copies of the same ledger out there and all the copies are the same, make it a little more challenging uh, to hack into and build that uh, additional trust that this is a more secure system. You're exactly correct. And, you know, it comes back to the point we were discussing when we first started the pod, right? This this aspect of trust and value and also the majority, right? It, and, in, you know, so is it possible to hack a blockchain? Yes, it is. But 
it's almost on the aspects of you would need collusion of at least 51% of the individuals working together in order to, in order to then really break the blockchain for whatever purposes that they yeah. have. Um, and I think, I think that was called a 51% attack or something. And it, it's basically at the point in time that the majority of the organization's individuals agree on something, then that, that essentially becomes the truth of that, of that system or that, or that node on that in, within the network. Yeah, I th I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the 51% attack because uh, some of the articles I read did uh, reference it the way you described it, but I there was an interesting twist in one of the articles that I read that. I oh, like really? Yeah. So the 51% uh, attack, so the way the blockchain works, and this is again an important uh, understanding, and I want to make sure that my understanding is correct, right? So whenever a transaction is introduced to the blockchain, so you know, you've transferred money to John, you've transferred money to me, these transactions have been recorded, I've transferred money back to you, those transactions have been recorded. Now you start a new transaction where you're saying, okay, I'm going to transfer $100 to Jane, right? So my understanding is that this entire set of four transactions, the transaction to me, the transaction, uh, transaction to John, my transaction back to you, and now your transaction to Jane are all retransmitted by the computer that is initiating the transaction, in this case, your computer, when you initiate the transaction to Jane. This ledger of transactions is once again in its entirety distributed, and then each system accepts it. And it's not just the last transaction that's distributed. Uh, was my understanding correct, Aaron? That that's that is my understanding as well. I mean, you know, we are one week experts, so <laughs> <laughs> so so again, uh, and I, you know, we say this we say this a little bit tongue in cheek, but you know that that is my understanding. There there when you talk about something like blockchain, there's obviously so many books and articles and white papers and there's so much detail out there about truly how how this is working and obviously all of the underlying technical aspects of it which you know i don't think we are going to go into here but it, you know it, at the conceptual level that is my understanding as well that when this transaction occurs it is not just this one transaction right it's the complete set of transactions that are also transmitted to everyone within this network to yeah. say, yep, here, here we have it. It's, it's this concept of really, I think, you know, we've, we've mentioned the term journaling or a ledger, and it's this concept of this network has this common ledger that everyone is using. And by using this ledger, everyone is aware of all of, essentially all of the transactions that are occurring within the network and when they're occurring, and who is involved in the transactions. And all of that information is known to everyone in the network. Um, so it is very, very powerful from that regard. If you think of the inefficiencies with um, some centralized systems that are transferring data from you know, one party to the next, to the next, to the next, N not all parties have a complete view of the data. 
especially from the standpoint of um, being able to possibly anticipate things, which is why, you know, from from a business aspect, why blockchain um, is so interesting. Because right, we are right. saying that, hey, here's all these entities who work together in some degree. And instead of them tracking all these things individually, the whole network trans, you know, tracks this in a journal or in a ledger of all the transactions and everyone in the network has the capability of seeing this so that they can start, well, hey, I saw this transaction come through between John and Sabode, but I know because this transaction came through, I may be able to initiate some business processes on my end, anticipating that eventually something is going to come to me. Right, right. Yeah, I think, and you know, just bringing it back to the 51% uh, attack perspective, right? What I read was that since at any point in time, the entire ledger is always being transmitted and confirmed by the various nodes in the system. And you know, you're always not going to, it's not a single transaction system where they wait for one transaction to happen and then another transaction happens. Simultaneously, there are hundreds, if not thousands of transactions occurring. So as these uh, as these ledgers are being transferred, confirmed, and each the validity of all the transactions in the ledger are confirmed and then retransmitted to the next node, and all this stuff is happening, the one of the principles that the blockchain operates on is that the ledger with the most number of transactions is the latest ledger, right? So in a fifty-one, another way of doing the fifty-one percent attack is where people have created this offline ledger and done a bunch of transactions, making it the largest, you know, uh, ledger in the blockchain, and then turned on the blockchain and transmitted this ledger to the blockchain, creating all these uh, transactions that are not real, that in turn fools the blockchain system into thinking, oh, you know what, Aaron sent both $500 when you never really sent me those $500, just because all these transactions that you have in your ledger, your fake ledger is a lot longer than any of the other ledgers in the system, right? Exactly, so, the, 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 one of the principles, as you mentioned, the, the ledger with the longest number of transactions is considered the source of record. Yes, and it's uh, obviously, you know, we talked about it as in a very simplistic fashion, but it is extremely complex to do that, and it's not easy. So a lot of people are not that worried about, you know, the hackability, especially as your blockchain system grows and you have thousands of nodes in the system to create a node that has the most number of ledger transactions is not easy. But there is a group, and I think they call themselves the 51% hackers or something like that, that has done this a couple of times to some uh, blockchains. So 51% hackers. Yeah, 51% hackers. <laughs> they weren't very original. You know? I guess not. I mean, they're kind, of, they're, kind of, they're kind of immediately just telling everyone what they do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was an interesting read, and it kind of gave me a better understanding of you know the blockchain and how it functions and all that stuff. So did you come across any other interesting facts or aspects of so, blockchain? 
So I, I know you and I have been talking a lot about financial transactions, um, but I, I did read an article and, you know, let me let me maybe explain this a little bit better or provide this example. Um, so for everyone listening that, you know, we are really talking about transactional data, you know, and it, it does not necessarily have to be um, financial related. Right. And this is where I was mentioning, like, because of this shared ledger of transactions across all parties, um, information is known much sooner in processes, which can then be accessed and used, you know, much in a, in a quicker way that really eliminates some of the inefficiencies that you see from when you have centralized system processing transmitting data to another centralized system, transmitting, transmitting data to another system, so on and so forth, which is very linear, right? The, you know, system A initiates the transaction and goes to system B. System C has no idea that that is even occurred, right? Until they get the transaction from system, from system B. So the example was thinking of, of ownership transfer of a car. So, you know, thinking about it in this linear way or these centralized systems. So you have a manufacturer who has their in-house ledger of transactions relating to this car. They then transfer the car and all of the transactions to a dealer. At that point now, the dealer maintains their own ledger of the car's information, makes models, VIN numbers, things of that nature. Um, and then they eventually then trans transfer translate this or transfer it to a leasing company, let's say. And someone then comes in to lease to lease the vehicle. So now the, they truly give the car to the individual, but all these other transactions and data and storing this data regarding the car is now being maintained by the leasee, right? And then finally, when the car is retired at some point, now you have some sort of junkyard or scrap merchant um, who's now receiving transactions and then assuming the ownership of the physical car, but really all these transactions. And throughout all this and all of these systems, every system is independently tracking these transactions. Whereas in a blockchain, um, everyone here, so the manufacturer, the dealer, the leasing company, the leasee, and the scrap merchant, they're all part of this same network. And when a transaction occurs between the manufacturer and the dealer, it's to say, okay, you're, we're sending you this car and here's the information regarding the car. So here's a transaction that then is recorded into this common network ledger of tracking the assets and tracking any of the um, other sets and attributes of data. And so when that transaction occurs, not only does the manufacturer and the dealer um, have, have visibility to the transaction, but now also the leasing company has accessibility and they know that this car is now available. Even a leasee now immediately knows that this car is available for them to lease. And also the scrap merchant knows that, hey, you know, at some point in time, this car will be retired. And everyone within this network has visibility to all the transactions all these other parties are making um, and can use that to then really, in turn, make their business and their 
part of the business process run much more efficiently because you have access to this data so much sooner. Yeah, I saw that, uh, I read that example in the, you you told me to look up IBM for dummies, right? So I yeah. did and I, I saw that. I think there was a, that's a really nice handbook. But I personally did not like that example because it seemed to be overkill for me to use blockchain for uh, such a simple value stream or set of uh, transactions, you know? Because there is no real need for all those copies of data and all the security that's needed just to share the information, right? For information sharing, I think there could have been a more efficient system that was put in place. Uh, that use case for me didn't really meet all the characteristics that blockchain supports. Correct, and I would agree with that. I think it's the reason I wanted to bring up that example though is to dis, just to discuss that, hey, this is not just financial transactions. Absolutely, yeah. Right, yep. you know, it is yep. it is data and transactions that are being visible and moved between all these parties within the network and everyone sees them. And that yep. in turn then can, for your aspect of the network or your specific business, that can allow you to do some things in very, very different ways than what a traditional centralized system of from system A to system B to system C, and they go through things sequentially. Let me ask you this. In my research, I came across this term that was being used with blockchains called smart contract. Yes. I don't know if you were, I wanted to research the topic, but I didn't get a chance to. Did you, were you able to get any information on what smart contracts are? I did not have a chance to go into details of this, but mm. it, it is, you know, it, it sounds to me um, like, like in addition to the transactions that are being sent, it is also some, some of these kind of sets of protocols that are, that are basically being used in agreement with all parties within this, within the, the nodes or the network um, mm. on the commitment of you know, again, the transactions that, you know, I did not go into a lot of detail on that. Okay. Yeah, but I think, you know, just it being a highly secure system that is distributed, it has a lot of application beyond the currency part of it to any system that needs to be secured and trusted, right? Like health records. Yeah, that's uh, a great example. Property records, you know, even even if you look at it, your identity, identity theft is a major issue nowadays, right? And Correct. all a hacker needs to do is hack into one or two of those credit unions and they're set, or not credit unions, credit agencies, and they're set, right? But if so it is was that the, is that the uh, identity theft hacker group? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the sister organization to the 51% 51 percent hacker group? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think that it's interesting, but, you know, I think, and we'll talk a little bit about the problems also and the drawbacks of uh, blockchain, but it does definitely, from a security perspective and the fact that uh, it doesn't have a central authority, I think those two parts really are very appealing for certain use cases and even sets of users who have lost, lost trust in central authorities, right? Correct. Correct. Coming back to the trust, yep. right? 
lot of, a lot of these fundamental things. You know, you think about in in the mid two thousands in the U S. when uh, you know there was the huge banking crash and market crash and you know yeah. economic downturn as the result. Um, a lot of that had to do with just this concept of trust and trust in the system. Yeah, absolutely. So, did you come across any, you know, issues with blockchain? apart from the 51% hacking thing? So again, from, from the pure blockchain perspective, you know, I, I think the biggest issue is that it is new, right? Even though, even though it has been talked about since the, I believe the early 1980s is when someone first proposed this, but it, it really hasn't been, I believe since, you know, um, one second here. Uh, since about 2016 is really when this this started to become something viable and people looking at it from a business aspect. Um, so, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, truly the issues around it is one of the big things is I, I think that it, it is new. Um, there is also, you know, I guess philosophically, um, do I want everyone in the network knowing what transactions I'm sending to who and when? Right? Right. You know, and it, that goes to the trust and, you know, essentially, as opposed to there being some sort of single regulatory agency monitoring everything, it is everyone else in the network is monitoring everyone else, right? And that is that you know that is the regulation. So I think if if the concept of the trust of the people within the network, if you do not have that, I don't know if this can be a viable option, right? And again, I'm not necessarily talking like security protocols. Your point, like you that. have to not trust fifty one percent, right? <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. So so. That I think, again, it's it's much more to me almost a philosophical question of where do you put your trust, right? I, you know, do I feel more comfortable, you know, using our bank example, right? Of right. knowing knowing that if I go to my bank and I send this money to Sabode, I trust that Sabode's going to, going to get the money because it's you know based on these electronic transactions. Do I have that same trust in some sort of blockchain network where there is no one regulating it? You know, we all are regulators in that aspect. Um, so it, to me, it's that is the, that's the most significant issue I see with it. Trust and accountability, right? We are exactly. used to that picking up the phone and calling the manager at the bank and yelling at him or her and saying that what happened to my money? But in our blockchain, you can't call everyone in the blockchain right. and say, hey, what did you guys do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it is also because, you know, we said it, we said earlier that in a blockchain, you can only add to the to the transactions. So if if an error did occur and a correction needs to be made, a new transaction has to be created some somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Now if whoever is responsible for creating that new transaction decides not to there 
you know, at least from what I'm reading and, you know, if I'm, if I misunderstood this and you, you understood it differently, definitely let me know. But, you know, if someone doesn't choose to make that correct, that corrective action, it's kind of just like, yeah, it, it truly doesn't exist and there's nowhere for you to go to get that resolved. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when there is an incorrect transfer in the bank, the bank is able to correct it, right? Correct. But in this situation, there is no central authority, so the individuals have to agree to correct it. And if someone's like, yeah, I got an extra $100, I'm not going to return it, there is no corrective measure unless the person is a good person and says, yep, okay, I'll return the $100 to you. Exactly. Exactly. And then that leads to, again, coming back to the 51%. So if you did have, you know, maybe for lack of a better term, collusion among 51% of the people, you could really um, game the system. Right. But again, yeah. you have to have this majority. And if you're thinking about this, you, you know, when Sabot and I are talking about some of these examples, we were talking like 10 people or 15 people. Right. But, you know, if you're if you're talking about something like I think the most popular um, entity out there that really embraces blockchain is, you know, Bitcoin for cryptocurrencies and, you know, these electronic currencies. And I mean, you're talking now, you know hundreds of thousands of individuals that would have to be colluding in the same way in order to accomplish something. This is what I read on Bitcoin, right? So there are the nodes that actually are the ledgers. And as of last year, I think there were 8,700 nodes. Right. Right. So the the cryptocurrency market itself uh, goes beyond blockchain because you have your blockchain and then you've got your wallets and whatnot to transact on the blockchain. And just because you're transacting on the blockchain doesn't mean you need to have a node on the blockchain. So that's where the complexity and the, it's not easy to understand and regulate part of it that you were inferring earlier comes into play. Right. And, uh, you know, so yeah, that's the complex part of the Bitcoin system. Yeah, and I think it's important to say, you know, blockchain is you know really underlying nothing more than really what Sabot and I have described about you know how do we how do we monitor transactions how do we record transactions and then who has access to those transactions you know um bitcoin and some of these other cryptocurrencies they utilize blockchain right yep. like yep. so it's so you know i think one of the things prior to this past week when we started this research you know i'd hear blockchain and i think bitcoin and that's not necessarily the that's not necessarily correct, right? Mm-hmm. Like all blockchain is is a methodology and um, a certain set of protocols in place that anyone all any businesses can use. But you know, Bitcoin has really embraced it to build their transactional system onto on top of blockchain or on top of the conceptual concept of blockchain. Yeah, and. Bitcoin goes beyond blockchain in that it has a mining system where you actually, you know, go and mine the coins to transact on the blockchain. Exactly. So, and that's that's the yeah. other thing, too, which is. Again, talking about value. Right. And why, you know, we talked about this piece of paper because it's, you know, says United States of America, one dollar bill is more right. than this white sheet of paper in a notebook, but it, they're both still paper. And, you know, this can, I don't think this is unique to just Bitcoin, right? I mean, if, if the government starts printing just money and flooding, flooding the um, economy with true, with true <laughs> money, 
right? Like true, here's more $5 bills that are out on the market. Well, you are actually devaluing those, the funds because now, now everyone has $7,500 $5 bills. So what, what is the real value of that $5 bill? Right. right. So when, when I was reading the same thing, you know, it occurred to me as well. Okay. So I am putting in an effort to mine for, for these coins and the coins themselves are basically fabricated, you know, for out of thin air, right? They're just made up just because I did a certain, I did a certain amount of work and I was the first or second person to do that work within this network. And therefore I get X number of coins. Oh, you know, what does that mean then from a value proposition perspective, right? Sure. I did the work, so I was compensated for the work, but the actual coin itself never existed beforehand and was just completely made up, right? Yep. And therefore, therefore, well, if I can just make up, you know, these coins, right, that supposedly hold value, but I can make them up, um, I do see that as potentially one of the issues, specifically with the, with the Bitcoin scenario of, well, how does this actually hold value? Right. I think in terms of Bitcoin, and again, you know, the key aspect here is trust again, coming back to the, the full circle, right, trust. So with Bitcoin, the creators of Bitcoin have said that there are a total of 20 million Bitcoins in circulation. Something, maybe I've got the number wrong, but it's some, there's a fixed number. It's not unlimited. And not all 20 million are already out there. Every you know day, year, through mining, new Bitcoins are uncovered and discovered and then released and circulated. But there is a finite amount. So we know at some point, all the coins are going to be mined and that's all that's going to be there in circulation. And that's where the value comes in, right? Similar to gold or you know any precious metal where, right. yeah, where we've said that, oh, there is a limited amount of the stuff, therefore it has value. So that's where this is again, you know, if, if you take a philosophical take on it, even gold or diamonds or whatever, it's just man-made uh, demand, right? It really exactly. has no true value in the sense that we made it have value in our minds. The same way Bitcoin, it's it doesn't have a physical presence, but we've made it have some value in our minds, right? And that's where it has value, and that's why other similar coin operations have failed because they've not been able to build attraction with their audience or the trust, for that matter. Yeah, and I, I was not aware that there was a finite amount of these bitcoins, right? That yeah. eventually will be inserted, whatever that number is. But you know, you have to have that in order for there to be value in right. it. Because if if there's just unlimited supply, then you know what's the point, right? right. And again, right. not separate topic from truly blockchain, right? So we said yep. you know blockchain is just a tool to create these transactions and pro- provide transparency and um, visibility to everyone within this that's just a tool you know the bitcoin uses blockchain in as their record keeping system right or transactional record keeping system yep so this was another interesting problem with blockchain and 
you can you'll be able to relate it from billions, relate to it from billions, right? And just for our listeners, Aaron and I are big fans of billions, the show on Showtime. So it uses, <laughs> yeah, it uses a lot of computing power. So apparently, and again, this is internet research, so please validate it. So it's last year, yeah, last year it was claimed that the computing power required to keep the Bitcoin network running consumed as much energy that was used by 159 of the world's nations. So that's a Quite lot a of computing power. That's and right there. That's a cost, that's right? A cost, like that's a yeah. true cost. You know, the uh, utility companies aren't giving you electricity for free. Unless you're stealing it. <laughs> true. Or I, or I have a, uh, I have a, I have a, a big mouse wheel. I just have just an army yeah. of mice just generating electricity for me, right? Exactly. So that's one problem is the computing power. I don't think we are there yet where our computing is efficient enough. And this is just Bitcoin. And if we expand this blockchain operations to more widely used transaction systems like, you know, health records or property records, it'll just be that much more uh, power intensive. But also to that point is the volume of data. I think right now uh, the Bitcoin ledger is in terabytes. So every time a new transaction is recorded, you're transmitting those terabytes around. And that's a lot of, lot of data transfer that's being done. So exactly. from that perspective also, you know, I see that blockchain has this problem of scalability and it has to have a use case where the transaction and the data or the information that is uh, supporting that use case is minimal, right? So it has a very, very niche sort of uh, usage. And that's one of the problems that I had with doing this research is people seem to be claiming that blockchain is going to solve a lot of all these problems that are not really made for blockchain to solve because it's got limitations. It, it does have limitations and, um, you know, it, it will be interesting to see the efficiencies that can be made with blockchain itself over the next few years, right? Yeah. To solve some of these things. And, you know, one of the reasons why um, the computing is so intensive and things of that is for the security and the algorithms and encryptions that, you know, the nodes and networks put in place so that it does become a very, very secure way of tracking this transactional data. Right. On, right. As, so it's on a non-centralized network, right? So, They've taken care of the security risk, but as a result of the manner in which they've implemented it, they've made it very, very costly, I guess I would say. Yeah. Very, very. So, you know, the more number of nodes you have, the more secure it's going to be, but the more expensive it becomes, the slower Correct. it becomes, which is kind of, kind of counterproductive to what you want to try and accomplish, right? Exactly. Okay, so what are our key takeaways, Aaron, from this whole blockchain? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when we started this. I don't know if I can say I'm a one-week expert on blockchain, but I, I'm, I definitely feel 
I am much, I have a much better handle on the concepts of blockchain, some of the advantages, some of the disadvantages, right? And how it can be used in, you know, in business and, you know, the, really the, the transmission of this data, right? It, in a very different way than I think what our traditional systems have been. So, yeah, I think I'm similar. I'm by no means an expert yet, but I think I'm a lot more knowledgeable right now. So if someone were to talk about blockchain, I would be able to follow the conversation. I would be able to ask intelligent questions and I would maybe even certain situations be able to challenge certain uh, use cases for blockchain that are being, you know, promoted out there. Correct. So yeah, I think it uh, it was very interesting for me, and I, I'd say I'm a one week expert on it. Not an expert, but a one week expert. A one week expert. <laughs> it's a new type of expert. <laughs> exactly right. I think we need to we need to copyright that or something, right? We should. One we should. our our one week expert certification programs. Yep. Yep. So. What's the topic for next week? So the topic for next week that we were kind of brainstorming and I think which will be again another interesting exercise, especially given where we are today, is the United States voting system and how it works. Very right? uh, and we're, we're talking about federal elections. Yes. Very um very relevant to yes you know, to what's going on uh, in this country. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what we come back with. I know, you know, I know when we start doing these research, this research, um, Sabot and I don't talk a lot about it, right? Because we don't want to influence the other pe person. I know if we find something really interesting, we may share an article with each other, um, but we really try to do this independently. So we come, come to everyone, you know, with some different ideas. So I think, I think looking at, you know, the U.S. election process and voting, um, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. Yes, it will be. I am uh, I think it'll be extremely interesting and maybe we go down a rabbit hole that we wouldn't want to and we are blissfully ignorant right now. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, very good. So until right. next week, everyone. This Thank is Aaron you. Buka. Thank you. This is the board multi. Thank you.